So it's interesting. I think some people <laughs> gave us, I, we don't actually need to do this, but Ben, or no, not Ben, Brad uh-huh. told us that we should talk more about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But some people don't want us to talk about ourselves <laughs> prefer to have friends outside of podcasts <laughs> we we're putting that in now you said it it's going in i hope you realize that but i'm down to be anybody's friend <laughs> all right i'm also down to be pretty much anybody's friend <laughs> pretty much cue intro music you guys are amazing it's lit Welcome to the Medlit Review, uh, where we thank you, Sean, for showing me our disclaimer and introduction. Just do the, just, just do the introduction. <laughs> this is a MedEd podcast uh, where a group of 30 year residents uh, do a casual case based journal club. Uh, and a brief disclaimer that we are... Give me it back, Sean. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> gold. Podcast gold. <laughs> we are... Uh, uh, <laughs> <Get laughs> Talking to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Ryan, <laughs> our editor. <laughs> um, Rachel, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you've been? I am 31 the ripe age of 31 everyone wants to be 31 who doesn't want to be (laughs) i sure do (laughs) (laughs) silence i am from the great state country of texas did my medical school training there and i am in love with the northeast and all my new friends that i have here well, we love you. Thank you. Speaking as the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> I love the harshness. <laughs> um, I don't know what else to say about myself. I need more prep time. Next. Speaking of prep, you're interested in gastroenterology, isn't <gasps> that right? Wow, that was such a good... Oh, my God. You're right. I am. I love gastroenterology. I love functional bowel diseases. If you got IBS, I'm your girl. Um what else do I like? Oh, I love transplant hepatology. I love addiction. I love alcoholism. I be drug use, which, fit, which fits into transplant hepatology. Amazing. Thanks. That's great. Sean. Thanks, Rachel. Hey, buddy. How you, how you been? I've been tell good. Us, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name's Sean. I'm a 29-year-old male. <laughs> Undisclosed past medical history. <laughs> no one wants to know. And I'm good. <laughs> it's not... It's not. It's not exciting. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm. Uh, I don't know. Wow, being put on the spot is really hard. Oh god. It? Oh god. <laughs> oh god. Excessive, excessive perspiration, <laughs> and what is it to have like a- abnormally large feet and hands? Is that mm. a thing? I, I, Show notes, baby. Megaly. Acromegaly, kind yeah. of. Up to present day, undiagnosed acromegaly. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm 29 year old year old Sean. Uh, I enjoy uh, listening to too many podcasts. I like uh, some board games. I like Super Smash Brothers a lot. Could I, you guys expand on your board games? 
Yeah. Like, I feel like our listeners, not me, but I'm sure there's people out there that are interested. Do you want to just skip this recording and play a board game? <laughs> yes. Sometimes I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of weird. Like, why do we decide to do this with our free time? Because we're crazy. Because <laughs> we're lunatics and we're fools. No, because we love med ed and, and teaching. And honestly, I would never have dove this deep into my article if we were not recording this for a podcast because <laughs> so wow true. is that so much work to do a proper journal club it really it truly is but, Agree. but more importantly let's turn things back to talking about me um <laughs> uh no i'm a third year internal medicine resident i love internal medicine i'm currently applying for cardiology because i also love cardiology and ecg interpretation outside the hospital uh, I did done a little hiking. I did two weeks of the Pacific Crest Trail with my brother and a good friend, uh, which was a lot of fun. I like cooking. I compete in our our competition, our, our program wide cooking competition, and have yet to come home with a title. So I'm not bitter about that. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, those are some of my hobbies. Ben, tell me, tell us something about yourself. Sure. So Rachel asked about uh, board games, yes. and uh, I love cooperative board games because uh, I'm at a stage in my life where I. Um, get really upset if I am not the winner and <laughs> it's, it's more common than I'd like to admit so uh, when we're all working towards a goal together it just feels much better so um, I uh, have really been into the uh, um, cooperative board game pandemic but it's pandemic legacy so this is a pandemic where you um the actions you make in one month carry over into the second month and and so on. And mm. it goes over the course of 12 rounds and 12 seasons. Uh, it is quite entertaining. Now, uh, I'm going to get the criticism that, Ben, that's medically related. Bah. Uh, <laughs> why don't you do things that aren't medically related? Well, I also play a uh, cooperative fantasy game called Gloomhaven where you create a fantasy creature that uh, you level up with gold and try to uh, kill some monsters. Um, so, you know, take that, critics. <laughs> <laughs> you told them. All, all those critics out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dozens of them. <laughs> Just... <laughs> <laughs> Delete- well, I have it, man. <laughs> De- deleting I'm, this podcast outs- now. I, I do things outside of medicine. Gosh darn it. <laughs> I'm glad one third of this podcast is dedicated to this banter already. Hot diggity. Let's go. <laughs> well, that's enough about me. Sean and Rachel, have you ever been in the situation with a patient uh, where you have a blood clot and you don't know where it came from? And, and by that, I mean... You know where it came from because it's an amalgamation of platelets, fibrin, and other coagulation factors. But I mean to say you don't you don't know that it came from like it didn't come from prolonged immobilization, a known cancer diagnosis, or major surgery in the last three months. Have you ever been in that situation where you're like, where'd this clock come from? Uh, yes, and I say it in that exact same boy, voice, Ben. So thank you. <laughs> where does clock come from? Where does clock come from? <laughs> yeah, no, I I I have that problem. Where goes Strand? I will. <laughs> We are on point today. Uh, yeah, I feel like that happens a lot of the time. Someone has an an embolism to the pulmonary vasculature, and we would scan their legs, and we don't see any evidence of a venous thrombosis, and we say, uh, I guess maybe all of it went to the lungs? I don't know. Uh, and we don't know why, so we don't know. You know, they don't give us any of the typical risk factors that you mentioned. They're not on oral contraceptive pills. They don't have a hypercoagulability that we don't know about, etc. They they weren't on a bus 
for many hours. I don't know why I picked bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear that. Example's usually airplane for our listeners out there. Well, I picked bus, so take that. <laughs> I don't know what you want from me. Yeah, uh, I feel like even just a random DVT that people have. Or like, I actually had a patient in clinic. Um, I mean, she she is overweight, so you could argue that that was one of her risk factors. But soft. she just yeah it's pretty soft um she was how you actually feel sean (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and i don't know why and what to tell her and i you know referred her to vascular medicine um she's younger than 35 Mm. so my understanding is that people who are younger than 35 with random clots should be worked up for a primary cause of that but and that is a really interesting uh, discussion for the hypercoagulable workup. Mm-hmm. Um, going into, uh, I want to uh, steer our conversation in a little bit of a different direction uh, with a case. So let's say we have a 52-year-old woman with no history of cancer who presents to your clinic with some swelling in her right lower extremity. She woke up with the swelling this morning, uh, and she was really when she was putting her socks on, the calf was a little bit tender when she pulled her sock up. Uh, she's never had symptoms like this before and no one in her family has had blood clots. Uh, she hasn't had any prolonged periods of immobilization or recent surgeries. Uh, her vital signs are all normal. You examine her, uh, and confirm that she does have unilateral, uh, right-sided leg swelling over three centimeters compared to the other leg. She has some pitting edema in the leg and she has tenderness to palpation along the venous system and the right posterior calf. Uh, because you like to use validated clinical decision assistance tools, you calculate her Wells DVT score and you find it to be three, which corresponds to a high risk for DVT. You send her for a stat ultrasound and you confirm your fears. She has a right lower extremity DVT. When you call her to discuss the results and start her on anticoagulation, uh, she nervously tells you about a friend of hers that was diagnosed with breast cancer and got a blood clot sometime later after her diagnosis. She's really worried that she could have cancer too, but she's up to date on all of her cancer screenings and they've been unremarkable. So how do you counsel her? Wow, that's such a great question. Sorry, I was also ca- recalculating your well score while you were saying it, just to make sure. And what did you find? Yeah, it was three. You're right, Ben. Uh, I should never doubt you. It wasn't like I designed this case without confirming every little detail, Sean. You're a master. Sean, since you just looked it up, will you tell us what's in the well score really fast? Yes. Yes. I love that. So I am on my MD Calc app, uh, and uh, I'm calculating the well score uh, for risk of DVT. uh, And you can tell me if this is correct, Ben, but this is something that will help us determine our pretest probability of a DVT. Correct. And basically decide how you want to evaluate this patient. Do you want to get a D-dimer or do you want to go straight to an ultrasound? Gotcha. So option one, active cancer. I put no there for zero points. Bedridden recently for three days or a major surgery within 12 weeks. No for zero points. Calf swelling of greater than three centimeters compared to the other leg. That's a yes for one point question are people like are you actually measuring people's calf size in clinic i have to be honest that i I am not whipping out that tape measure uh, (laughs) to uh, do the circumference of the calf i will say that if it looks significantly bigger i I, I would consider it but like um i like that you know I, i in most situations i'm not like 
whipping out the tape measure. Yeah. That's okay. fair, to be honest. But you could. I could. Mm-hmm. You could. We if should. you were a better Maybe doctor. We should. Our clinic has, if I was a better doctor, exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fooey. Okay. We left off a calf swelling greater than three centimeters compared to the other leg. Collateral superficial veins or non-varicose veins that are present. No. Zero points. Entire leg swollen. No. Localized tenderness along the deep venous system. Yes for one point. Pitting edema. Uh, confined to the symptomatic leg, yes, for one point, and then nose for paralysis uh, slash parathesis slash recent plaster mobilization, nose for previous DVT, and no for alternative diagnosis uh, is more likely than DVT, the infamous questionable final criteria. So that's a total of three, and that gives us a result of high risk. Right. And so using the MD Calc app, it will tell you next steps would suggest that you go straight to an ultrasound. Um, instead of a D-dimer because your pretest probability is so high that if a D-dimer is negative, you'll probably still get an ultrasound anyway. Okay. Uh, Okay. So now to get back to your original question is how do we counsel this woman on her cancer, her risk for cancer? Right. So uh, she's concerned that she could have cancer. So should she get additional testing to see it? if and where she has cancer. I get the concern. I feel like this is something that people bring up all the time. We have a lot of screening tools and people, it, you know, it's almost unclear to us sometimes when, at what age, and what are the indications for certain cancer screenings. So, totally. you know, in the patient, in, in the just regular population of patients, it's, it's probably even less clear. And, you know, the association between cancer and blood clots exists and is known. So I think it's even more prevalent uh, in, in other people's minds. I think even in this setting, for some reason, I, I want to say that it's still just appropriate age-appropriate cancer screenings, but uh, maybe there maybe there's a bit more to it. Yeah, so for her, I would definitely make sure she's up to date on her mammography, and she's 52, so I'm hoping that she's had a colonoscopy screen in the last two years and making sure that that was done with a good scope you know because not all not all scopists are created equally that's true that's true uh those are great points um i do want to use this opportunity to uh bring up uh availability bias so um this is an example of something where she has a friend who got cancer and had a blood clot so she thinks that people with cancer get blood clots which is not an unreasonable thing to think but it is an example of the sample that she has um, is defining how she thinks about the problem. So uh, just to review availability bias, it's a cognitive bias that arises when we think uh, things are that we have seen are more common than they actually may be. So uh, a, an example of this is, is present here, but also uh, thinking about uh, like anginal chest pain. So let's say you've seen a bunch of men who, tip, who present with a crushing chest pain, the typical anginal symptoms, and you... Uh, are presented with a woman who has a little bit of nausea but has an elevated troponin and it leads you to miss potentially a diagnosis of ACS because you're not you aren't seeing those classic symptoms um, and this is uh, borne out in I'm not going to cite studies on this but this is a little bit borne out in the literature specifically regarding ACS and we can potentially talk about that on a future episode but it's really tough to uh, educate patients on availability bias but we have to we can give them some uh, objective information about the true incidence of cancer related to uh, DVTs so uh, take a while 
wild guess. What's what do you think the incidence of a DVT or PE is in patients with colorectal cancer? So these are patients diagnosed with colorectal cancer who then develop a DVT or PE. Correct. Okay. And it's not the question is not people who develop a DVT who have an underlying colon cancer that was undiagnosed. Correct. Okay. Um I'm going to go with like 5%? I'll say $1. No, I'll <laughs> say um yeah, I'll say like I'll say 10%. Wow. So, Rachel, spot on. Really? Yes. There's a great overview of this topic uh, in the International Journal of Colorectal Disease uh, by Reese and colleagues. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. This was published in uh, 2018. Um, and it says that the, the greatest risk is in the first six months following diagnosis, where the risk is 5%. Uh, right on. I did not cheat. <laughs> I promise. Masterful. Amazing. <laughs> Just uh, love so, the colon. Uh, the risk increases if undergoing chemotherapy. But the question remains, should we go looking for a cancer here? Uh, and uh, Mark Carrier and the authors of the Screening for Occult Cancer in Unprovoked Venous Thromboembolism, or the SUM trial, have some thoughts on the matter. Love I, it. I was waiting for a bad pun, and there it is, <laughs> folks. Oh, it's just so easy. They're going to keep on coming. <laughs> Tell us some more. So Sure. So um, I did it. Tell us some more. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> we're proud of you, Sean, <laughs> for, <laughs> for telling us your pun. Yes. Fine, whatever. So uh, the authors make the point that uh, up to ten percent of patients with unprovoked uh, VTEs or venous thromboembolism receive a diagnosis of cancer within one year of their diagnosis uh, of DVTs, and on the flip side, more than sixty percent of occult cancers are diagnosed shortly uh, after the diagnosis of a DVT. So you might be thinking, how did they like diagnose that? occult cancer. So the authors cite a systematic review from the Annals of Internal Medicine by Carrier and colleagues that found after combining 36 studies, uh, the extensive screening population, which was included uh, usual screening plus a CT abdomen pelvis, increased the proportion of previously undiagnosed cancers from 49% to 69%. Uh, in patients with unprovoked DVT. So the authors of the study are really cautious uh, about recommending additional screening for everyone. Uh, because the studies they synthesized didn't comment on the complications of additional testing, mortality benefit, or cost. Uh, but it lays some excellent groundwork for the SUM trial. So uh, what do we think about that? Um, be, uh, the systematic review kind of uh, results and uh, how they p would play into this. I mean, that is a really big increase. You Okay, I'm trying to break this down in my head they had patients get ct abdomen and pelvis in addition to just the usual screening yes the only thing that they did differently that i wouldn't have done prior to this conversation was a ct abdomen and pelvis correct and that increased their diagnosis from 50 percent to 70 percent roughly yes roughly up by 20 percent Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty significant. The thought that comes to mind, and this is exclusively because we're recording this, is is there anything we can do about this? So are we just identifying cancers ahead of time? Is this sort of a lead time bias sort of situation where there's nothing we can do on the back end to treat these cancers? Um, but even so, even exclusively for prognostication and for patients understanding um, what may or may not happen uh, with, with themselves, uh, it seems relevant to me. Yeah, I, I, you know, it sounds really attractive to say we can diagnose more cancers 
Yeah. Um, right? And do something about these. <laughs> but this was a uh, finding that the authors point out necessitates more randomized controlled trials. And that's what the authors of uh, the SUM trial are trying to achieve. They're trying to see if an additional uh, CT of the abdomen, uh, a pelvis, will be useful. So uh, this was a, a multi-center open-label randomized controlled trial uh, comparing limited occult screen cancer screening alone to limited cancer screening plus a comprehensive CT of the abdomen and pelvis. We'll get into what that means. So a couple of uh, things. It's hard to tell people who are getting a comprehensive uh, CT of the abdomen and pelvis that they're uh, not getting it. Because, <laughs> uh, so it has to be open label. Close your eyes. Uh, yeah, right. We're going to like maybe put you through this machine and like, I don't, I don't know how you would even consider doing that blinded. You like send them through without giving them radiation. Like that sucks. That's just, Oof, that's annoying. Yeah. Uh, I think the authors made a, a reasonable adjustment to make this an open label trial. Um, so what the limited screening meant was an HNP, complete blood count, serum electrolytes and creatinine, uh, liver enzyme testing, and a chest x-ray. Uh, breast exams slash, slash mammography slash both uh, for women over 50, pap smears in the appropriate setting, and prostate exams, PSAs or both for, were performed f for men over 40. We're not addressing the controversy surrounding uh, PSAs, but that's how they decided to do it. So this CTA is super fancy. Also, it includes a bunch of other views over just the usual CT enhanced or contrast enhanced CT. So it includes distension of the empty stomach with gas and fluid and contrast enhanced mucosa. So this is a virtual gastroscopy for gastric tumors. They did a biphasic enhanced CT for hepatoma and renal cell carcinoma. They did a parenchymal pancreatogram uh, they did a CT of the distended bladder for bladder and ovarian carcinoma, and they did CT colonography to de detect colorectal carcinoma. That's in addition to colonoscopies. Uh, wow. Wait, hold on, Ben. <laughs> How long did this CAT scan take? So it's still... I, I, that's a good question. I don't know how long it took. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Why don't they just like slice open the patient and just take a look? <laughs> So that trial would have been so easy. You're right, Rachel. It would have been so easy. Beyond getting through the IRB and instead of performing vivisection, uh, they, um, you know, who... Can who, I get this CT? Like, <laughs> this will help all my hypochondriacs out there. Yeah, I, so I don't know how long this took, and I don't know the expert reading it took to do all of those complicated protocoling and reads. Um but it, it seemed pretty comprehensive for at least, I don't know, and I don't know the sensitivity or specificity of detecting all of these different things. I didn't go into that, but it seems like a pretty darn good CT for looking at a lot of things. Um, and so who actually went into the study? So these are patients with their first unprovoked uh, VTE. And some of the exclusion criteria are really interesting. So claustrophobia or agoraphobia. You can't get that CT, I guess, if you're really scared. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes sense. sense. <laughs> um, you have an allergy to contrast media. Too much risk, I guess. They just didn't want to deal with that. Uh, creatinine clearance less than 60. Again, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. contrast makes sense. Um, ulcerative colitis, probably because it messes up that CT colonography that mm. they had. Uh, I, but that was the only thing I could think of. And the most fascinating one that one other author commented on, glaucoma. Why is glaucoma not included? If you guys have any thoughts on that, I have no idea. On what glaucoma is, because I also don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't. 
I don't know. Does does, <laughs> does does the contrast increase intraocular pressure? I don't know. I have no idea. All right. I just found it really interesting. So, Hard pass. Um, yeah. Just the, the patients with, with glaucoma, they didn't get it. Um, they weren't in the study. <laughs> Sucks so, to suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... Uh, patients were followed for a year and they used checklists to elicit information about new cancer diagnoses, recurrent VTEs, etc. Uh, so what do we think uh, about these methods so far? Any glaring errors, um, concerns, or thoughts? I'm fascinated by the, by the methods and by the ability to perform such an advanced CAT scan to basically image every, well, not every, but image most of the, our, our potential tissues where one would get a malignancy wow and the fact that they were stratified exclusively by presence of an unprovoked dvt i mean i could think there's so many other things that would put one at certain risk for a malignancy exposures like smoking family history just so many things oh my god yeah and i'm wondering i mean this is a total side note but I'm curious why they didn't, besides the virtual gastroscopy, which would be, other than that, you'd have to do a capsule study on all these patients, but you could do, at least for ovarian cancer, you can do transvaginal ultrasound, obviously pap smears, help with cervical cancer screening. I don't know. I feel like I could list through each of these easier or uh, with less um, radiation for this but i mean it's still pretty cool sure and i i think this was an attempt to do one study yeah uh and i i totally agree with you that you could have been you know you could have gotten like renal ultrasounds you could have gotten uas i i think that's a really interesting point and i wonder uh how that would have impacted the the number of um cancer diagnoses they find um but maybe it would have been just too hard to schedule like maybe they would have lost patients yeah. like hey we'll stick you in this tube and get it all done in one time so- like, it sounds, sounds so great. good right yeah right um so the primary outcome uh were new diagnosis of cancer during the follow-up period wait was follow period one year yes okay i have no comments move on a question the fall <laughs> What if they did diagnose something? On a screening? On the CT. Uh, so if they did. Um, then like boom. you got Then it. that was a oh, screening that was in within diagnosis. A they, they used, they found a cancer with the CT or without. Um, and, and that was part of the original results. But what they're looking for is basically missed cancers with just limited screening. Or missed cancers with limited screening plus this fancy CT. Okay. Because Got it. it kind of implies that um, no matter if you get this fancy CT, this was still an occult malignancy that was missed. And the, the goal is to try to say that there is either no difference between limited screening and limited screening plus CT. Uh, or that there is a significant difference between just limited screening and limited screening plus CT. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, so, um, and right. So patients who had cancer who had cancer with confirmed cancer detected by the occult screening were removed from the primary analysis because this is a baseline cancer. Okay. Using um, previous studies and systematic reviews, they remind the audience that the prevalence of cancer diagnosis increases by about four percent. 
absolute risk from uh, 6 to 10% from the time of diagnosis uh, of VTE to the 12 months. So they estimate a sample size of uh, 862 is needed for an 80% power to detect a relative risk reduction of 75%, and that's an absolute reduction of 3% in the number of new cancer diagnoses at 12 months. So the authors seem to suggest that this fancy additional screening should have caught the cancer before it is diagnosed in 12 months, and as such, should reduce the number of diagnoses. If you don't have a new cancer diagnosis at the time of follow-up, it probably didn't cause your clot. Does that make sense? It's kind of what we just okay. hit on. So if, like, I'm trying to picture myself in this, I'm, I'm one of the study per people. Mm -hmm. So I show up to clinic, I have a new DVT, mm -hmm. and they either randomize me to just my age screening mm -hmm. or my age screening plus the CT. Right. If on either of those things, if, if I'm randomized to just the screening and they find I have cancer, am I out of the study? That's my understanding, that you're, okay. you're out of the study because you have a confirmed cancer. Cancer that definitely caused the That DVT. was found in either of the methods. Okay. And then if I, same scenario, I show up with the DVT, get normal screening plus the CT. Mm -hmm. If I have cancer, if they find cancer on either of those things, I'm, again, taken out of the study. Correct. And then what's left is you just have a bunch of people who had a random DVT who got either the CT plus normal screening or screening, and you're just monitoring them for a year to see right. if they ultimately get cancer. Right. Okay. All right. I didn't say it before. A year is not enough time. Okay. But I like how he said, though, that, yes, like we all could get cancer at some point, but did that cancer cause that DVT? Oh, like, why yeah. would it? Why would it pop up? over a year later unless you were not i don't know i, I guess i don't know are, either that's such a, man this is a good question yeah i think it's really hard i this think it's some article ben uh, <laughs> i think it's really hard to say that a cancer uh, uh, diagnosed a year later um did or did not cause the the dvt i would tend to lead towards the idea that it didn't because if mm. it's malignant it would grow rather quickly and generate some sort of symptomatology so you know, if we're thinking about, you know, I don't want to get into Virchow's triad and all that, but, you know, thinking about the hypercoagulability caused by cancer, it has to be pretty present, I would think, to mm -hmm. cause the hypercoagulability associated with it. All right. So I, I want to talk a little bit about um, sample size and uh, what a power actually is. So um, I, I had to pull out my biostats textbook. Uh, so, Sean, can you tell us what type 1 error is? Absolutely. Okay. So, there's two types of error when I think of performing a statistical analysis, and there are two fundamental aspects of any direct comparison that you perform within that analysis. So, there's a type 1 error. Type 1 error is rejecting a correct null hypothesis. Null hypothesis, a term that I hate because my brain doesn't do well with sort of double negatives or uh, something like that. So a type 1 error is rejecting a true null hypothesis. And the null hypothesis is that there's no connection. So a null hypothesis is like there's no association between DVT and cancer, for example. Uh, and rejecting that, so rejecting a true null hypothesis, so saying that there is when in fact there is not, is a false positive conclusion. Uh, a test or a study's ability of making a type 1 error uh, is denoted by the alpha. 
Typically, we associate this with a p-value. So p-value is the probability of obtaining data if the null hypothesis were true. So as an example, let's, let's perform a statistical analysis. We'll perform a t-test. Ooh, t-test. Very simple, but we're not going to go into that. We're going to perform a t-test. We're going to compare two means, and uh, we're going to put this into a statistical software, and it's going to spit out a p-value, and we'll say that p-value is 0 0.10. So what does that mean? That is... Uh, uh, translated as a 10%, so 0 0.10 is 10%. That's a 10% chance that you could have received this data if the null hypothesis were true. So if a if there was no association whatsoever, there's a 10% chance that the data would be distributed and comparable. The means would be as far apart as they are uh, looking as they are. Uh, classically, we use an alpha of 0.05 so that if we get a p-value below this, we can say we have a less than a 5% chance of incorrectly rejecting the null hypothesis uh, when it was actually true. So incorrectly saying that there is no association when there actually is an association. And we're going to go into some more graphical detail in the show notes. Wait, wait, wait. the last sentence you said incorrectly saying that there, I think you might have reversed it. It's, it's a double negative. So okay, you are okay. it, there's a less than 5% chance of incorrectly rejecting a null hypothesis when that null hypothesis is actually true. So, okay. so basically, if I have a study and I'm like, these two things are related and it's like, just kidding, my study sucks. <laughs> and if, I don't know. That's like a simple way of thinking of it yeah. is that I rejected the null hypothesis, which was that there is no association between A and B and the null hypothesis is correct. Right. So that is a type one error. Right. I mean, I think type two error is like the less fun one because we just don't see it as often. Mm -hmm. Like how often do we look at publications that show negative data? You know, it's just mm -hmm. in the culture that we have, people only want to read, for example, New England Journal of Medicine when things are positive. So um, there may be studies out there that are making type two errors and not publishing um, and I guess I don't even know if I explained it, but essentially a type two error is the failure to reject a false null hypothesis. So there actually is an association between the two things you were studying, but for whatever reason, you could not make the association and you say, oh, the null hypothesis is true. And that's actually not true. Um, and this study's power is its probability to accurately reject a false null hypothesis, i.e. to find the truth. I like that, to find the truth. Great. <laughs> and its calculation is is actually pretty easy because you're trying, you're using probability. So you're saying that one minus the beta um, is is the power. The, the reality is though that um, it, the probability of disproving a null hypothesis is entirely dependent on a number of factors. So uh, if the effect is really small, it can be harder to find. So uh, and thus harder to reject the null hypothesis, even if it is actually false. Um, we never really know how big an effect is. So we have to sort of guess and we use literature and we use as big sample sizes as we can uh, to figure that out. Um, but, uh, and we're going to go into uh, power a little bit more in detail in a, in a future episode, 
but just to say for now that power is higher if the sample size is large, the true discrepancy between the null hypothesis is large, and the variability of the population is low. Um, so those are uh, factors to keep in mind when you're thinking about power. Uh, so uh, thank you for uh, in indulging my desire to go into stats land a little bit. <laughs> uh, but uh, just to go on a little bit more in the, in the results. So they uh, analyzed the results using an intention to treat basis um, and excluded those who did not complete their assigned screening strategy. Uh, so just as a reminder, intention to treat minimizes non-random attrition bias, uh, as we discussed in episode two. Um, Sage. But, but it can minimize treatment effect. Yes, Sean, it was Sage. Sage trial. You did a great job, Ben. Uh, thanks, Sean. All right, so let's go into the, the results a little bit. So um, between October 2008 and April of 2014, uh, they found 862 patients of the 3,000, over 3,000, in fact, that they screened who were randomized. Uh, 854 were included in the final analysis. The mean age of the patients was 54 years, which is an important study trait that we'll talk about later. Um, so uh, the meat of this relies on the diagnosis of cancer. So a total of 33 patients received a new diagnosis of cancer between randomization and one-year follow-up. Total in both groups? Total from both groups, Got correct. It. Okay. A total of 14 patients in the limited cancer screening group and 19 patients in the limited screening plus CT group. So in the initial screen, 10 patients from the limited cancer screening group uh, received a diagnosis of cancer and 14 patients uh, in the uh, occult, uh, in the CT plus limited screening group were found to have a diagnosis of cancer. Those cancers most commonly in the limited uh, occult cancer group were gynecologic. And in the uh, CT plus group, uh, there were three each of colorectal, lymphoma, and urologic cancer. Interesting. And this is at the initial screen. So, um, so there were differences in the population. You can't really predict for... But they randomized. Right. Well, yeah. It's, I guess, randomization is never perfect. And, and es mm. especially with a the low incidence of cancer, it can be really hard to get an equal distribution of all of the cancers. Exactly. That's a really good point. Yeah. So um, what I'll say uh, next is a little bit confusing. So the cancer diagnoses that they found within the one-year follow-up period uh, were four in the limited cancer group screening group and five in the limited cancer screening plus CT group. Uh, the difference in that P value was uh, one. So uh, meaning that if we were to interpret this literally, which we have to be really careful about doing, it's more a thought experiment is that if we were to, um, it means that there was a hundred percent chance that we would expect to receive uh, these data if the null hypothesis were true. So the null hypothesis is 100% true. <laughs> so if we Not took another right. eight, right. another 800 patients anywhere else, we would get the exact same results if we did everything exactly uh, the same. Kind of. I like to think of it as if we were doing this exact experiment again, there is a 100% chance that we would get data that were similar to this. Okay. Meaning that there was no difference between the two uh, measures of screening at one year follow-up. Now, it's important to point out that the number of patients who were diagnosed with cancer 
was also initially at the initial screen was also a non-significant p-value of 0.28. So that means that even at the initial time of diagnosis, there was no difference in the cancer detection rate between the limited cancer screening and the limited screening with CT. That's, Does that make sense? That's sort of a bummer because we went into all this detail about this CAT scan. I've never heard of a CAT scan this complicated. You'd no. think with such a big population, they would be able to detect more cancers. You'd hope. But alas, you'd especially really since you've pre-selected the patients and you've selected, I'm doing air quotes, perfect for a uh, audio medium, <laughs> air quotes, high-risk patients who've had a DVT, but even then it still isn't, you know, it's, it's not a good enough tool. It's not able to, to pick up uh, these occult cancers. And I think you said it best when you said that um, the prevalence is just not high enough you would need such an enormous population potentially to pick this up. Right. Uh, so let's go into the the discussion a little bit because the authors do actually point out about uh, how many people you would need to screen in order to detect a missed cancer. So uh, one would need to perform 91 Billion. CTs. Just 91. <laughs> okay. Just 91. Um, to, um, in the best case scenario, so using their confidence interval, um, of uh, 95% confidence interval, which I didn't actually say, uh, which goes to negative uh, 1.12 to uh, 1.63 for the absolute difference in cancer detection. So uh, in the best case scenario, uh, the absolute difference of 1.12 beyond the standard screening that you would do, um, you would need to screen 91 people to detect one missed cancer. And the authors make the point to mention that the exposure of radiation that you get from these CTs is the equivalent of 442 chest X-rays. <laughs> That's a lot of chest X-rays. <laughs> On average. Because this fancy pants CT is a lot of radiation. Um, wow. And the number needed to the number needed to harm to induce a radiation yes. induced cancer is 460 for women uh, aged 40 years of age. Not worth it. It's yeah. not. I banged the table because it's not wait, worth it. Wait, so that's a well, first off, that's a lot of chest X-rays, and second off, that seems harmful. Yeah, because <laughs> because we're gonna we might detect a, a missed cancer, maybe, but if we're literally doing this on everyone, we can actually cause a cancer. Yeah, and that's that's a problem. Not and intense. so Ugh. you know, dislike the the. I want to go into the limitations of this a little bit. So the authors do point out that the uh, detection rate is lower than expected. So. The meta-analyses that we talked about in the beginning said uh, the rate of occult cancer period, because I use colorectal cancer as the example in the beginning of the episode, the rate of occult cancer period is up to 10% uh, at 12 months after a diagnosis of unprovoked VTE. But the authors do point out that more recently published studies uh, suggest a lower risk around 3 to 5%, which is right where this study was. So, you know, it's we don't know the exact I think this sort of raises the point that we don't know the exact prevalence or incidence of unprovoked um, VTEs and association with cancer, really, because it's hard to study. And, yeah. You know, by definition, you're you're finding a hidden cancer and it can be tough to find. So um, the authors also mentioned some weaker limitations because they're kind of like they're checking the box of saying that we talked about our limitations here. <laughs> they're like, it's an open label study. It's like, yeah, OK, fine. But like, that's not. Yeah, like, that doesn't I don't really think that has anything results. to do with. 
yeah the results yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you rachel i was kind of like okay fine uh, and then they say like oh um we could have done more stick scanning like we could have done a ct chest and but then they're like but we diagnosed some pe's with a ct chest so we really didn't need to winky face and like also they didn't diagnose any lung cancer so Wait, they diagnosed more pe's after the dvts no 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 so they used a ct like to diagnose the, the original to, pe the original oh, pe yes, they see. scanned them so there wasn't any point in doing uh another cta in a lot of these patients yeah. so it was kind of like okay like yeah you could have but you also didn't diagnose any lung cancer so even if you had, it wouldn't have mattered. Wait, there was no lung cancer there ever? There were no lung cancers detected in either group. Wow, after so, a year. So Right. Hmm. The point of saying you needed a CT lung to do more intensive screening is kind of a moot point because you didn't diagnose any lung cancers, so you wouldn't have found anything anyway in either of the groups. So yeah. kind of whatever. Uh, finally, they say that only uh, 862 of their over 3,000 patients were included. So the overall incidence could have been higher. Sure, but it also could have been lower because they could have had a higher probability, uh, a higher percentage of people that did not screen positive for cancer. So wait, wait, wait. They only included 862 out of 3,000? Yes. Yes. What happened to the other 2,200 so people? So according to their figure one, it looks like... Um, 1,200 did not, uh, roughly, did not meet the inclusion criteria. Uh, 1,000 uh, roughly met exclusion criteria, uh, 469 of which um, declined or were unable to participate. So A lot of people uh, with claustrophobia. A lot of people were assessed <laughs> for eligibility. So eligibility was pretty broad, right? It was the like first unprovoked VTE. And then there were some exclusion criteria and ability to follow up and all of those things. Interesting. So um, I don't think the incidents would have changed the results all that much. And the authors make the point that it could have actually, um, you know, it would have enhanced their results if they had more incidences of cancer that they caught on the initial screen. So the age of the population was 54. Um, which is actually fairly young for a cancer diagnosis. In some earlier studies, uh, the mean uh, age of cancer diagnosis was uh, 66. Uh, so an older study population is going to have a greater prevalence of cancer. So um, would that would this study have been different if the mean age was higher? I think it's a it's a really reasonable question. And if you have an older patient in your office that's very concerned about a, a diagnosis of cancer, you know, this study may not necessarily apply to them because the mean age was is is younger. Hmm. That um, seems important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um I, all in all, this is a pretty well-run study and argues that uh, against getting a fancy pants CT in everybody with an unprovoked DVT. It does It does emphasize that doing an important, uh, a thorough physical exam and history, and history as well uh, and age and sex-appropriate cancer screening are important. So this is kind of useful to get people to get their colonoscopies because it's like, yes, there is an association with VT and cancer, so we should really check your colon. Yeah. What, a, what does this mean? Here's a better question. How are you going to tell your patient that's in your office with a DVT that I'm going to do nothing but age-appropriate cancer screening? So that's tough. Um, it is tough. I think it, it, it sh you can also tell her that you are going to do the routine blood work. You're going to counsel her on signs and symptoms of cancer. Um, you're going to make sure that 
you uh, get those mammograms and really follow up on uh, abnormal paps and all of those things. Um, and if you wanted to, there's, uh, there is some room to deviate from the guidelines a little bit. If she is really nervous and wants mammograms more frequently, that's, that's fine. This also doesn't go into anybody with a family history of cancer. So if, if right. she had a family history of cancer, which our patient originally didn't, um, it might be reasonable to do some more intensive, uh, screening if it would, uh, put her at ease. There's the, the guidelines are just that they're guidelines and there's, uh, there is room to go off if you can, um, count if you can comfort your patient a little bit more. That makes a lot of sense to me as someone you perceive to be high risk for some other reason that you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't apply a broad sweeping generalization to them based on one study. But yeah, it seems tough, but, but this is, this is worthwhile. I mean, I think this is probably why I've always been taught age appropriate cancer screenings is the answer, you know, because there's not a lot of data to support something more aggressive and especially that number needed to harm sort of resonates with me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's always unsettling. I mean, I try and put myself in the situation. If I got a DVT, I would definitely be paranoid that I have <laughs> a cancer. And even if I did all age-appropriate cancer screenings, I, there's still a very tiny chance that within the year I you know, could be diagnosed with something, not to make it all about me. Oh, my but. God. Jeez, Rachel. <laughs> What <laughs> but, a you know, downer. That's what, that's what patients are thinking. That's true. You know? That's true. I know. Like, and we have to counsel them and say, you know, like, yes. But also on the flip side, only like 5% of people with DVTs end up getting cancer. So, you know, we have this thought in our head that there's this huge association, but really that's just what's taught. Interesting. What a great study. Thanks. Thank yeah. No, no. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate all the work you put into it. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> this has been another episode of the MedLit Review. We want to thank you guys so, so much for listening. We're going to remind you that this is just for medical education and for fun. If that's your jam, uh, this is not medical advice. Please seek your own doctor if you need uh, medical advice or help with something else. Uh, our thoughts and opinions are our own and they're not affiliated with our uh, schools, uh, institutions, employers, etc. And please, 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 please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. It helps us grow and develop the podcast. And we love feedback. And thank you guys so much for the article today. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you. Yeah. And feel free to read the article yourself. I think it's more fun <laughs> to, to read with other people. I mean, I wouldn't have dove divin dove dove did dove does deep into any article without you guys here this is some fun yeah it's fun so do it with your own little friends or large friends thank you goodbye bye I said, um, I say, um, a lot. <laughs> Pause. And you said, <laughs> Pause. I didn't notice that. Also, Bailey's coming on by. Here we go, Bailey. Follow that plate of food. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, that's me and not Bailey. <laughs> <laughs>